Hey everybody, it's Dr. Rindy. Welcome to the next episode of Wild, What I Am Learning Daily, where you are welcomed into my personal learning lab. This particular week, I'm focusing on a presentation I attended as part of the Microbiome Summit that's being hosted by Lucy Mailing, Dr. Lucy Mailing. I wanna give her a quick shout out because she's doing some amazing stuff with microbiome research. And this particular lecture that I attended um, had to do with one of my favorite topics, low, low fiber versus high fiber diets and its, its impact on inflammation in the gut. Um, this was done by Dr. Martins of the University of Michigan. He um, conducted this research on rodents. However, it had some interesting takeaways to help clinically. So first, some backdrop on the microbiome that I think is relevant to this lecture. Bugs feed on all types of nutrients. They can feed on fat. They can feed on um, carbohydrates and proteins and also can feed on mucin, which is mucus um, from the intestinal lining or um, mucus that's produced. So it's important to know that um, we have a group of microbes that are called mucinophilic. That's pretty much one of the focus of this particular lecture. Um, you know, if there's mu too much mucus de degradation, it can kind of go into the intestinal lining. Um, however, some mucus de degradation can be appropriate and helpful in certain scenarios. So let's go into what we learned. So two of the species that were discussed that are mucinophilic are Bacteroides casea and Ackermansia mucinophilia. Um, there's more you can learn about these particular bugs, but I think the important takeaway is both of them um, feed off mucus. And Ackermansia mucinophilia is widely talked about in the research. I've seen a lot more research on its benefits than versus its harm and um, as, a, as its benefits to control inflammation. Um, also, uh, it kind of has been shown to help with certain disorders such as um, allergy disorders and um, IBD and IBS. So it was a little surprising that it, that was the focus of this particular, um, particular study. Um, however, that's the thing with microbiome research is that it can kind of teeter-totter back and forth with some of these these bacteria and to understand their benefits, risks, and the balance of these microbes in our in our ecosystem. So the researcher, Dr. Martins, it was was kind of set up for his research by another study by Dr. Desai, um, who is who published an article in Cell in 2019. They did a low fiber diet in mice, um, uh, uh, and they looked at what would happen to the microbiome population if you held the fiber for 40 days or so. And not surprisingly, the holding the fiber raised up these mucin degraders, they, they grew. Um, but also, uh, we also saw that um, a pathogen was, was elevated in this particular mice population of wild type mice called uh, Citrobacter rhododentium. So there was a pathogen that came along and that was an interesting finding. So the research took this kind of concept and they applied it to um, the 
an IBD model. And in IBD, there's many genetic pathways that have been discussed um, to be associated with IBD that are related to immune regulation. One of them is FUT2, which we talk about a lot with intestinal lining. The researcher, Dr. Martins, talked about one called COSMIC, um, which is involved with intestinal barrier degradation. But one of the most common pathways that's looked at is something called interleukin 10 deficiency, which is an immune regulation pathway that seems to be associated with IBD. Let's unpack IL-10 just a little bit more. IL-10 deficiency is most um, is sort of the most common genetic model used in studying IBD. They look at IL-10 loss um, as being part of the IBD picture, inflammatory bowel disease um, with low IL-10 um, uh, production can be um, sort of a scenario where we would see the autoimmune flare-up. So IL-10 is made by T regulatory cells. And so one thing to know about IL-10 is it dampens the T effector cells. And T effector cells are Th1 and Th2. These are T helper 1, T helper 2. These are largely associated with um, inflammation. So um, we, we see the classic um, TNF-alpha, um, interferon, interferon gamma go up, um, and other cytokines that are associated with inflammation when Th1 and Th2 are active. So as you can see, if you don't have IL-10 um, working real well, it can really set you up for autoimmunity, where the body is sort of, a, the immune system attack is attacking itself. So in this experiment, they took um, IL-10 mice um, and took I, uh, IL-10 deficient mice. They knocked out IL-10 out of these mice and gave them a high, high fiber diet versus a fiber free diet. Um, in the low fiber, fiber free diet, the, the mice eventually um, lost too much weight and became fatal. Um, they, they died from weight loss. Um, and and uh, then also the immune system went up in these mice, um, immune markers of neutrophils in a fiber-free diet. And the mice um, that got sicker on this diet had the classic cytokine profile that we see with IBD. So they had elevated IL-1 beta, IL-6, IL-17, IL-22, TNF-alpha, TNF-alpha, and um, INF-gamma. So you can see that this Without IL-10 and low fiber, um, that was a very kind of difficult, fatal combination uh, to show the amount of colonic inflammation that developed in these IL-10 deficient mice. So then they moved on to a kind of interesting side study where they looked at if they were to give the um, IL-10 deficient mice something with an entire exclusive enteral uh, nutrition diet. Um, this is sometimes known as the elemental diet. Um, it's devoid of fiber. And they wanted to see what, what would happen in these mice um, for inflammation control because the EN diet um, has been shown to help with some humans with IBD and SIBO, specifically like Crohn's and also pouchitis. It's been shown to help. And so they looked at what would happen if... Um, a fiber-free diet was given to these IL-10 uh, 
deficient mice in the form of the elemental diet. So what happened was interesting. Um, one of the butyrate producing bugs actually grew, Eubacterium rectal, which is a butyrate producer, um, which should, butyrates should only be produced in the presence of fiber, but it was interesting and unique that a uh, Eubacterium rectal um, uh, grew in the presence of no fiber. So I'm gonna come back to talking a little bit more, but I wanna unpack about uh, Eubacterium rectali. Um, it's a member of Clostridium cluster four. I'm sorry, Clostridium cluster uh, 14A. It's That's a really dominant in, um, group in the intestinal microbiota. Um, it has many different species as a part of that cluster. Um, some of the Clostridium species, Ruminococcus nevis, um, is also represented in that group. But as, as I learned about this, um, I saw in a particular study by, um, that was produced in this article called Biodiversity of Intestinal Lacteria, Lactic Acid Bacteria in Healthy Populations in 2016 in the publication Advances in Experimental Medicine and Biology that these particular bugs, especially um, it looked like Eubacterium rectale, could actually um, be survive on protein. Um, and that, you know, some of the clost Clostridium cluster 14A can actually eat uh, protein as nutrition. So perhaps that's what was happening. Um, it's I'm too new at that particular question to conclude that, but that's sort of my initial hunch. The research did not say that butyrate was produced. Um, so if butyrate was produced um, on the EN diet, that would be really fascinating, um, but that was not pointed out as far as I can recall. So that's my answer to why protect, per, possibly Eubacterium rectali was, was uh, it grew on that diet. So what happened in this study when they um, refeeded these mice that were IL-10 deficient with um, fiber? Well, one thing that was up in these particular mice while they were flaring was fecal lipocalin, which is a marker of intestinal inflammation. Um, and it remained elevated uh, while fiber was being added, but then it slowly decreased. So this is a really good clinical pearl for me is, you know, the, the switch takes time if, you know, if you're kind of adding nutrition into so into a diet like say someone's flaring and they're holding off nutrition um, the it takes time to see inflammation come down with fiber introduction so um, but in these particular mice they added apple oat, oat fiber wheat fiber and the disease started to blunt so um, we the dr. Martins d discussed how that perhaps a low fiber fingerprint is elevated Acromanzia mucinophilus and um, the Bacteroides caseae. Um, maybe if they're elevated, that could be a low fiber fingerprint. I'm sort of, in humans, I'm not quite sure I see that with the stool test that I do, but 
it is an interesting concept. Um, and also I can only imagine that the longer we avoid fiber, the more these bugs really become elevated and, and potentially could cause problems like intestinal permeability, even in people without IBD, you know, in IBS patients or general population. So it does bring to me some questions as to like, um, how much Acromanzia mucinophila is beneficial and along those lines, how much Bacteroides casei is beneficial and under what circumstances are they helping us and hurting us? Um, and again, I'm not 100% clear why butyrate producers would grow in the absence of fiber, but I'm guessing that at least they can derive some of their nutrition from protein. And what would happen if people were starving themselves of fiber for six months or more? That's a big question on my mind. And, you know, so the kind of as a naturopath or functional medicine doctor, I'm kind of always looking at balance. And what I take away from a study like this is what's true in a short term stressor might be that the body may try to bring homeostasis to an environment and we might see some benefits from certain microbes, but long-term stressors, those particular microbes might turn against us. So it's, it's really important to always think about timeline and sequencing in our clinical thinking and, you know, just try not to think about things as like a snapshot in a moment, but to think about, well, what would happen as a rhythm over time in this scenario? So that's my takeaway. I really enjoyed this lecture um, and I'm enjoying sharing my learning with you. So please tune in next time for the next episode of WILD.